as we uh, continue our series on really fighting the foes that we have as believers, we're still looking at how Christians, as Christians, we should be on a daily quest to fight against those enemies that wage war on our souls. And of course, one of those enemies that we've been considering this summer is our own fallen flesh. The three enemies include the world, the flesh, and the devil. Right now we're looking at the flesh, and here in just a little bit we'll look at the, the foe of the devil as well. But tonight we're going to add something else to our arsenal to aid us in that fight, that fight against our flesh. Uh, another arrow in our quiver, if you will, or even another bullet in our chamber, as the case may be. But we can add to this, to the other weapons that we've been looking at on Sunday nights. And what are those? Well, just by way of review, to fight against our flesh, we need to learn to deny our flesh more and more. And of course, that is something we need to do every single day. We need to learn to deny ourselves and to deny our flesh, which is what Jesus uh, certainly teaches. Uh, if any man follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It's something that Paul teaches in Romans 13, 14, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So to fight against our flesh, we need to deny it and learn to do that every day. But then we also learned that we need to detest our flesh with a holy hatred, a holy kind of hate. And we're not just to learn to hate our flesh, but also to hate even the garment spotted by our flesh that we considered from Jude 23. And that garment... If you think about what a garment does over our physical flesh, that's what the garment spotted by our flesh is like as well. So this garment includes anything that covers up the lust of our flesh or anything that brings comfort and aid to the lust of our flesh or even anything that contributes to the lust of our flesh. Those are the garments that we need to hate and put off because they too are contaminated with that flesh. So... We also need to learn to detest our flesh. But then we also learned that we need to discard our flesh. This is what we considered the last time we were together, and that is involves putting off the old man and putting on the new man that we saw from Ephesians chapter 4. That was a couple Sundays ago, to discard our flesh, put it off, and then putting on. But you know, those weapons will only be effective as we depend on the Lord and dwell with the Spirit. Again, that's sort of the foundation upon which all of these others flow. That's what needs to take place in our daily life as Christians, to depend on the Lord, dwell with His Spirit, and then use these other means that God gives us in that relationship with Him, in that continual relationship with Him in our walk with the Lord. Well, tonight we're going to open our Bibles, as you probably can see there on your message guide, to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, where, again, we find that new weapon in our arsenal. 2 Corinthians 7, and we can describe this weapon as decontaminating our flesh. There's a nice long one, decontaminating our flesh. And Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Again, he says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. That's that decontamination. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Again, this is a new weapon in our spiritual arsenal to fight against our flesh. Decontamination, cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. 
Now, to those who are Christians, to those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation from our sin, and we know that we have been cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like we sang about this morning and learned a little bit more about as we took our communion, Christians now have a responsibility to cleanse ourselves, to decontaminate ourselves, again, from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Now, when we look at that, we need to realize that that is not a contradiction. We have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, but we are also to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Sometimes we'd see that as something that's contradictory. But there is no contradiction here to what Jesus said to his disciples in John 13 that we saw this morning when he said, you are clean, because as Christians, they were. And as Christians, as a child of God, you are clean before God in his sight. You are justified. And you can't get any more justified in that sense before the throne of God than you already are. But just like Jesus was teaching Peter and his disciples there in that upper room, we still have to daily clean off the dirt and grime that we accumulate through our walk in this world, even the grime that was on their feet. And of course, he's not speaking about physical feet, physical dirt, physical contamination. He's talking in a spiritual way. But as we strive to walk with the Lord and as we strive to walk for the Lord in this life, we still have the responsibility to clean off that dirt and that grime that wants to stick to us as we walk in this world. So yes, we are clean before God. Yes, we are justified before God. But there's this also this process of sanctification where we become more holy as He is holy in a practical, everyday way. So let us cleanse ourselves. Let us decontaminate our flesh as we fight against the foe of our flesh. And the first thing that we find in this verse is that there are reasons to cleanse ourselves. There are reasons to cleanse ourselves, which are the very promises of God. The very promises of God. Again, Paul puts it this way. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. So the question is, well, what are these promises that Paul is talking about? that provide the very reason for us to fulfill this responsibility of cleansing ourselves even as we are cleansed by the blood of Christ. Well, the promises that Paul's talking about are found just before this verse. This is one of those unfortunate places uh, where the, the chapter divisions probably aren't that helpful because, you know, once you see that new chapter, sometimes we kind of put the, the previous things on hold. We put those things in the back seat and then we keep on moving forward. Uh, well, that wasn't the case when this was originally written. So here in Paul's discussion in chapter 6 about biblical separation from the world, which again is one of those foes that we face in our Christian lives, he also encourages us with several promises in the latter part of verse 16 through verse 18. So again, Paul says, having therefore these promises, what promises are these, Paul? Look back at verse 16. He reminds us, for you are the temple of the living God, he says. As God hath said, and now he starts to provide us a string of promises from the Lord. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you. 
and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So chapter 6 deals with the foe of the world. Chapter 7 deals with the foe of our flesh. And he actually provides these promises of God to help us and to give us reasons to separate ourselves and to decontaminate ourselves through these promises. Several promises given to God's people that are absolute and unconditional. So what are these promises? Well, in verse 16, we find the promise of God's presence with you if you are his child. The promise of God's presence. He says, I will dwell in them and walk in them. That is the promise of God's presence. And what an encouraging, comforting promise this is. That wherever you go, whatever you do, if you belong to the Lord because you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, He is with you wherever and whenever you go. This is the promise of God's presence. And that promise, Paul says, is a reason that should motivate us to pursue after purity in our lives and to decontaminate our flesh. Again, having this promise, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. But that's not the only promise. We find also in verse 16 of chapter 6 the promise of God's possession. The promise of God's possession of you. What else does he say? Well, these are echoes from the Old Testament. And he says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And what was applied to the Jewish nation and the Jewish believers in the Old Testament, he now applies to the Christian nation, the church, those of us who know Christ. And he says, you will be my people and I will be your God. This is the promise of God's possession. And this possession is something that is permanent. This is something that once you are placed in the hand of God, he will never, ever let you go. This is a possession that can never be separated from the love of Christ. And that, too, is a promise that ought to motivate you, again, verse 1, to cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. But that's not the only two promises. We have another one, verse 17, and this is a promise of God's own pleasure in you if you are his child. What else does he say? What else does he promise? He says, I will receive you. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know that in, in spite of everything else in this world, if we believe in Christ and we belong to Christ, he has pleasure in you. And someday he will receive you up into heaven as his own to take pleasure in you as his child forevermore into eternity. And that is the promise of God's reception, God's pleasure. And another reason that we are to separate ourselves from the enemies of our soul, separate ourselves from this world, as well as to purify ourselves from our flesh. In the nursing home this afternoon, one of the dear ladies was kind of having some struggles about what was going on there in the nursing home. And sometimes you don't know exactly, you know, when these things occurred or what these complaints might be. And and I just tried to encourage her, you know, no matter what you're going through, keep your trust in the Lord, keep your trust in the Lord. And, and you know, she has a testimony of faith and trust in the Lord, but sometimes you lose sight of that. Um, but one of the things that she, she told me and was reminded of as she was thinking about the service and the message and the, 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 the people that were there, she goes, you know, in the Bible, we're told that we're not to be of the world, even though we are in the world. And she repeated that. You know, we're, we're, as Christians, we're not to be 
of the world, even though we are in the world. And certainly that is something that we recognize here as well. This is something that encourages us to separate ourselves from this world and to de decontaminate our flesh, the promise of God's pleasure in this. Uh, but that's not all the promises. There's another one in verse 18, the promise of God's provision. He says, and I will be a father unto you. This is the promise of his provision as a father, as a good father. You know, Jesus even says, you know, what, what father of you? If, if your child would come and, and ask for food, would he give him a, a stone? And he says, you know, if, if you as human beings, as you as people, as, as fallen beings, know how to give good gifts to your own children, how much more will the father give good gifts to those who ask him? And so, again, Paul is repeating this promise that was given and echoed in the Old Testament. Here in the New Testament, he says, you have this promise as a child of God. You have this promise as a Christian, the promise of God's own provision as your Father in heaven. And because He's your Father, this ought to as well motivate you and encourage you to be more holy and more perfect, even as your Father in heaven is holy and perfect. These promises are the basis of cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. But there's even another promise, I think, in these verses, and that is the very promise of God's power, of God's power that is available for you. Because at the very end there, verse 18, it is the one who makes all of these promises described as the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty. God is the one who has all the power to keep and fulfill all of these promises for you. You know, I use this illustration a lot of times with children. And I, I, I talk about the promises of God and I say, you know, if I were to make a promise, I cannot guarantee that I will keep that promise because things can get in the way. If I promise to you that I will give you a candy bar, every one of you a candy bar next week. And of course, I would say, now I'm not making that promise because I'm going to forget that promise. Uh, but if I make that promise, there's really no guarantee that I can keep that promise because I could get hit by a bus as I leave the school or I leave the premises. Only God has the power to keep every promise that he, he makes to his people. And these are the promises that are available to us because of his power. These are exceeding great and precious promises. And these are just a few. But again, Paul says these are all reasons for you and for me to cleanse and to decontaminate ourselves from our own flesh. Again, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Keeping in mind those promises. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Let us cleanse ourselves. If there's no other reason for you to try to keep yourself unspotted from this world and unspotted from your own flesh, these are those reasons. This ought to motivate you. These great promises. Because there's nothing that you will give up that God does not make up in these promises for you. But then also from this verse, we find the responsibility to cleanse ourselves. The responsibility as Christians and even as a church to cleanse ourselves. The word translated cleanse here is katharidza, which you kind of hear that word catheterize or catheterize or even a catheter in which, you know, you cleanse your body and you cleanse your body from things that are toxic in your body. So that's the idea here. It's to cleanse, but not in a physical sense, but in the spiritual sense. 
to cleanse you from those things that contaminate your soul. Now, even though at times this word catharizo in the New Testament refers to something that is done for us by the Lord, and that is true. Again, there's the, the, the position that we have before the Lord, that we are clean, Jesus says. You are clean. You are justified. You are sanctified. But catharizo also refers to something that needs to be done by us for the Lord. So even though it's done for us, it still needs to be done by us, but in a completely different level to a completely different extent. Not a contradiction, but these are complementary things that we find in the New Testament. But the only reason why we can cleanse ourselves is because of the power for this kind of cleansing. The power for this kind of cleansing that can only come from the Lord. Remember, the last phrase of verse 18, if you take out that chapter division, it says, saith the Lord Almighty. <laughs> And then Paul adds, having therefore these promises, dear, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. He knows very well that you and I do not have the power or the strength or the ability to cleanse ourselves without the power and the strength of the Lord Almighty. And so again, he's saying this to motivate us to realize that we don't do this in our own strength. We don't do this in our own might. We don't do this in our own power. This kind of cleansing can only come from the power of the Lord. And this is certainly one of the reasons why David prayed the prayer that he did when he had his sin against the Lord with Bathsheba in Psalm 51. In fact, keep your finger here in 2 Corinthians 7. Go back with me to Psalm 51. And, and of course, as we think through this prayer, as we think through this prayer of confession before the Lord, look and see where he goes in order to receive the strength or, and the power to stay clean, to stay pure. Psalm 51. Of course, this prayer of confession, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to the thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and hold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. We can look at Psalm 51 and see that this is a description of a man of God cleansing himself. But where does this power to cleanse himself come from? 
from God himself. Did you get that throughout this psalm? Look at verse 2. David prays, Wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Jump down to verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Look at verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. As we go back to 2 Corinthians 7, we realize that in Psalm 51, David is praying these prayers because he knows that it is only through the power of the Lord, only through the power of Christ and his cleansing, could he ever have the power or the hope to cleanse himself. And so you cannot disconnect the power of God's cleansing and the process by which we cleanse ourselves. They really go together hand in hand. Of course, how does Christ cleanse us from our sins? Through what we celebrated and commemorated this morning, through the shedding of his blood on the cross. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. That's the power, the cleansing power that we need in order to cleanse ourselves. But then as we rely on that power, and again, depending on the Lord, dwelling with the Spirit, as we depend on the Lord and His power, it leads us to the process for this kind of cleansing. The process for this responsibility of cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. We can never separate ourselves from the power of our cleansing. Instead, we need to keep applying the cleansing power of Jesus and His blood to our fallen and foul flesh. But how, how do we do this? How do we apply the cleansing power of Christ's blood to the ongoing filthiness of our flesh and spirit? Well, the New Testament describes how. We also saw this in David's prayer. First of all, there needs to be a confession to our filthiness, a confession of our filthiness. You need to confess it. You're never going to have cleansing over your flesh if you do not confess that you need that cleansing. If you think everything's hunky-dory, everything's fine, no problems here, you're never ever going to have that cleansing of your flesh without confession. John tells us this very clearly in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this is part of the process of cleansing ourselves, confession. We need to daily repent and confess our, our sins and our failures, our faults, our iniquities, our lusts, our flesh before God, knowing that we are weak, but he is strong. Do you do this daily? Recognizing the filthiness of your flesh and spirit, confessing that filthiness before the Lord, that's what needs to take place. So to cleanse ourselves requires confession to the Lord, but then there also needs to be contemplation. And that contemplation needs to be of what God has given to us to do this work of ongoing cleansing in our minds and in our hearts. We need to contemplate and meditate on what? The Word of God. Don't we find in Scripture that God gave us this Word to do that ongoing work of cleansing? This is something that we find in Ephesians 5.26, where Paul reminds us that, as, that Christ also loved the church. Of course, he says that is an example. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for it. Why? So that he might sanctify and cleanse it, the church. And aren't we individual members of the church? 
that He might sanctify and cleanse even us with the washing of water by the Word. The Word of God, cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. The Word of God, His promises, His precepts, everything else in between. We need to contemplate and meditate on it to be cleansed. But again, we need to remember that we can never cleanse ourselves apart from the Word of God. Jesus Himself will tell His disciples in John 15, Now are ye clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. Now are ye clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. This is why the preaching and the teaching of God's Word is paramount for us. And even the reading of God's Word is so essential to our lives as Christians because this is part of the process of cleansing ourselves. Confession of our filthiness and then contemplation of God's Word, which He uses to cleanse us even more in our sanctifying process. But then also in this process for cleansing ourselves, after confession, after contemplation, there then needs to be Communion with the Lord. Even daily communion and fellowship with the Lord. This is something also John tells us in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1, 7, a familiar verse to us, it says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us, is cleansing us from all sin. So again, this is not a contradiction that the blood of Christ cleanses us, and is cleansing us. There's, again, those two different levels. There's the, the cleansing of justification, where we have been cleansed, and then there's the ongoing cleansing of sanctification. But the blood of Christ is what does it all. But we need to have communion with God on a daily basis. Again, we can never cleanse ourselves without depending on the Lord and dwelling with the Spirit on a daily basis. Ongoing cleansing takes place as we have fellowship one with another. Now, that fellowship, as we've looked at before in 1 John, is not referring to your fellowship with other Christians. It's not talking about that horizontal relationship that we have with the church. It's talking about that vertical relationship that we have with God. As we walk together daily, as we have fellowship and communion daily, we receive that cleansing even more. But then as you walk with the Lord in that kind of communion, there also then needs to be commitment to the Lord. Even a daily recommitment, rededication to decontaminate and cleanse yourself from your flesh. You know, when we struggle against our flesh, sometimes we just kind of give up. The struggle seems so strong. The disappointment seems so real. Sometimes when we fail and we sin, the, the grief becomes even overwhelming and the guilt. And that is why to cleanse ourselves requires a daily recommitment to overcome that flesh. I think this is what James has in mind when he writes in James 4.8. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. All of those are imperatives. All of those are commands. Draw nigh to God. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. It goes along with what Paul is saying here. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. But we know that there's a close connection for James to drawing nigh to God and cleansing your hands and purifying your hearts. 
So there's this commitment that is based not on what I can do, but there's this commitment on what drawing nigh to God can do. Again, it's not my power. It's not my willpower. It's not my pulling myself up with the bootstraps. It's rather relying on the power of the Almighty One, the Lord Almighty that He talks about there in verse 18. So you need to commit yourself to this kind of cleansing in your walk with the Lord. Is there that kind of commitment? Not just, oh, when you fall, when you fail, okay, I'm going to get up and, and try again. But even before you fall, on a daily basis, pray that God will help you to commit yourself to drawing nigh, cleansing your hands, purifying your hearts, because that is what it takes to cleanse yourselves. But then there's something else that you need to do that we find in the New Testament in this entire process of cleansing yourself from all filthiness, and it's actually cutting yourself off from that which is unclean. Even cutting yourself off from that which is unclean. This is the kind of clean break that Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17, uh, just a few verses before, where he says in the relationship that Christians have with the world as well, he says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. There are some things in our lives that our, our, our flesh is so attracted to that we just need to cut it off and not touch those unclean things. So as you rely on the power of God to cleanse yourself, you then need to apply this process to, to cleanse and to decontaminate yourself from the enemy of your flesh. And this applies to both the sinful struggles of your body. And I think, again, that's something that Peter had in mind when he, when he kind of blurted out this morning there when Jesus was going to wash his feet. He said, well, Lord, if I have no part of you, if you're not going to cleanse me or wash my feet, then, then don't just wash my feet, but wash my hands. You know, I'm sure that he had thought about the sins that he had committed with his hands. But it also applies to the sinful struggles of your spirit and your mind. And because he also says, Lord, my, my head also. Because he knew that he needed this ongoing purification on the outside and on the inside. We need to remember that we have a responsibility to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness. And that's why in the rest of this verse, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, the, Paul, the Apostle Paul wants us, to finally resolve to cleanse ourselves. To resolve to cleanse ourselves. Here at the end of the verse, he gives kind of the, the purpose, the aim, the target as we purify ourselves. What is it? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Doesn't this describe what the true passion should be for Christians. You know, growing up, we would see all these billboards and ads and posters for the military. And, and one of the ones that always captured my eye was for the Air Force. And there was a, an airplane that was headed straight up into the sky. And of course, the motto and the logo that was placed on that poster by the Air Force was, Aim High, United States Air Force. We as Christians ought to aim high in this way. Aim high for perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 
As Christians, sometimes I think we settle for not the growing in perfection or growing in holiness or even the increasing fear and reverence of God. We're just going to have the status quo. We're fine with, you know, if the world is our enemy and the flesh is our enemy and, and they're just kind of at bay a little bit. We're okay with that. But what is our real goal in this cleansing process, this sanctifying process? Well, perfecting holiness means to pursue after holiness. It's translated elsewhere as bringing holiness to completion. William Tyndale, who was one of the early translators of the Greek into English, into our Bibles. In fact, the, the King James Bible is about 90% of what Tyndale translated all the way back in 1526. But not in this verse. But you want to know how he translated this, perfecting holiness? He, he translated this way, grow up to full holiness. Grow up to full holiness. And the intention is that you have this responsibility, but by God's grace, through his power, you can grow up in holiness. That ought to be your aim. That ought to be your goal. That ought to be your intention, knowing that one day it will be fulfilled. Of course we know that we're not going to be 100% holy in this world. But we do know that we will be 100% holy in the next. And so aim high. We don't have to settle for the, the status quo, settle for what everybody else is, is doing. Do you have that resolve in your life daily to pursue after holiness? John, John Gill describes it as holiness of life and conversation. Holiness in what you do and in what you say. And of course, all that implies what you think. So holiness in a whole way, complete way. Remember 1 Peter 1.15? But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That ought to be our pursuit. When you have that kind of resolve, you will seek to cleanse yourself. You will seek to decontaminate yourself from the enemy of your flesh. But that shouldn't be our only resolve. We also, in addition to pursuing holiness, should have this desire to please God. To please God by doing so in the fear of God. The fear of the Lord is what pleases the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the right kind of fear and reverence toward God as your Heavenly Father. And I think, again, so often we just treat God as just another person in our life instead of the creator, redeemer of our lives and of our souls. Do we seek to please God in our lives by following after his will that is revealed to us in his word? So in this fight against the flesh, you have a responsibility still to cleanse yourself from all the filthiness of your flesh. But sadly, when the fight gets too tough, you might feel like giving in. You might feel like giving up to that flesh. But instead, remember what we learned tonight from these verses. Along with the responsibility that God has given you to cleanse yourself. He's also given you many reasons and promises to help you in that pursuit of purity. Go back through that list. These are guaranteed promises to a child of God that will help you and motivate you and empower you to cleanse yourself. 
And so again, as you depend on the Lord, dwell with the Spirit, make this resolution. This resolution each day, not a New Year's resolution, but a New Day resolution to pursue holiness, to please God, and then through His grace, you will experience greater victory over your flesh and all of its filthiness. So put this arrow in the quiver. And not even in the quiver, but have it ready at the bow. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit with the aim of growing in holiness and in the fear of God. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Father, I know that this is a message that every Christian needs. Everyone in this church and outside of this church needs. Because so often, Lord, we just settle. We think, well, Jesus said you're clean, so I'm just going to accept that and not worry about the rest. But they forget about these responsibilities that that cleansing enables, impels, and motivates, which is to cleanse ourselves. And so, Father, I pray that you help us to see the very nature of this command is one that will do to us what it did to David. Not relying on our own strength, not relying on our own cleanness, but rather on the power that you possess, the purity that you possess, the cleansing that you can do and will do and have done in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that throughout this week, we will keep this in our minds, in our hearts. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. And yet, realizing that we not only have many reasons to do so through the promise that you've given us, not only do we have that very purpose and resolve, aiming high for your glory, but you're the one that gives us the very power to do so, but also the rewards for doing so. Oh, the peace, the joy, the tranquility, the love, all of those things that go along with having a clear conscience before God and before men. I pray, O oh Lord, that that might be the case for us in our lives and in our hearts, even as we pursue after this principle in our fight against the foe of our flesh. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.